here with the Soccer Living Podcast, everybody. I'm excited to have ESPN, longtime ESPN soccer columnist Jeff Carlyle on the show today. Jeff, how's it going? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I wanted to get real quickly, too. I know you were in Minnesota last week. You're a West Coast guy. <laughs> what did you do to handle it? How did you handle it? Would you ever go back into that kind of situation again? Um, well, I lived in Chicago for nine years, so I had a, you know, that was a while ago. I mean, I lived in California for 30 now, but, um, you know, I had a little bit of experience in dealing with cold weather. So I had the long johns top and bottom. I had, uh, you know, lots of layers. Um, I broke out a, a parka and a, and a ski hat and, and gloves. And so I was, I was pretty, I was pretty prepared, I would say, um, just in terms of, you know, clothing and everything, but man, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a shock to my system for sure. Um, not only just, you know, going to practice the day before the game and then keep in mind, it was about 18 degrees. I mean, it was balmy by comparison, you know, to, to what happened at game time. And, but then even walking to the car um, after the game, it, it, it just, it was stunning how cold it was. And a colleague of mine, Austin Lindbergh, you know, one of my editors at ESPN, he was in the outdoor press box and, and, you know, I posted a photo of him with hat goggles. I mean, there was not a scintilla of exposed skin. So, um, man, for me, it was just, I'm not sure it was worth it. Um, you know, you can, you can say, Hey, that they got the result that they needed. They won three, nothing. Um, but I don't think that's something that, that U.S. soccer should do again. Um, I, I just think it, it, it put the players in danger, um, you know, not the least of which the opposition. And you can say, hey, that's the point, is to make the opponents uncomfortable. And, and certainly there have been stories about the U.S. going down to Honduras and having to play, you know, at a 3 o'clock kickoff in, in 90 degrees and 90% humidity, what have you. But um, – you know, I think this was I think this was taking it a, a little bit too far. And, you know, the moment that the, the, the venue was announced, everyone was worried about the cold and, and possibly snow. And so fortunately, they were able to avoid the snow, but the cold was, was next level. And um, no, I, I don't think the U.S. should do this again. And I mean, it'll be eight years before there's another World Cup qualifier and, and probably longer than that, you know, until there's one in January or February. But yeah, not. I don't think that's a decision the U.S. soccer is going to be making in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I know, you know, your, your ESPN colleague, Craig Burley, uh, was pretty adamant about, he was calling it a, a small mentality of our country to try to do that. I mean, do you think we would be getting the same results if we played these teams in Florida or Southern California and, you know, 70 degrees, 70 degrees and sunny? I mean, you don't, so it sounds like you don't feel like we need that, that cold home field advantage necessarily. No, I mean, listen, four years ago, they beat Honduras six, nothing in San Jose. And I was there that night and it was a perfectly <laughs> acceptable weather, you know, typical kind of Northern California weather for, you know, I think that was like a March window that that, that game took place if memory serves. But um, yeah, I, I don't think they need that um, when they're playing, you know, maybe when they're playing Mexico, it, it, it can be a factor, but I think, you know, when you're playing other teams in CONCACAF, that, that's not something that the U.S. really needs. And um, and now, granted, the surface held up fairly well, but I, I think that it kind of just impedes, you know, the skill level that the U.S. has accumulated now in its team. And so, um, but I, I think 
the last cycle is still hanging over a lot of the decisions that are being made in this cycle. And, you know, you think back to the Costa Rica game at Red Bull Arena, and how everyone was said that that wasn't really a home field advantage. I, I think the performance had more to do with that than the actual crowd. Because um, I remember the crowd practically blew the roof off of the building during pregame in- introductions, and, and, then, and then the performance was terrible. So, uh, but, you know, but people only remember the, the Costa Rican fans singing at the end. So, um, so I think that influenced things quite a bit. I mean, Greg Berhalter despises travel time. And I'm talking about whether it's a bus to and from practice or whether it's a flight, um, you know, between venues of World Cup qualifiers. And so I, I think that played a huge role in his thinking. I, yeah, I think there are other places that, that wouldn't have been that much longer of a flight that they could have gone to. But that was the decision that they made. And, um, you know, I, I think some other venues that you might think about, like I think Nashville, something was going on with their field. So that that venue wasn't available i mean things like that factored into it as well but um you know travel is everything for greg berhalter in terms of you know preparation and and trying to minimize you know that that time spent on the bus or a plane so i think that was a, a big factor as well sure yeah and you've been with espn a long time now and obviously been covering the game here a really long time i mean you know the big debate now jeff is is you know greg is he the right guy or not i mean for you personally and, and, you know, you've been on the inside. You got you talked to a lot of guys in U.S. soccer and the players and the coaches. I mean, for you personally, is he the right guy? If not, why not? If so, why? Well, I think he's been, I mean, the right guy. That's kind of a black or white w- way of viewing it. I mean, I think there have been times where I haven't thought that he was the right guy or where I thought that he wasn't the right guy. And the reason for that is that in the beginning, he seemed – very dogmatic in his approach, um, always playing out of the back, whether the circumstances called for it or not. Um, and so that planted a, a major seed of doubt in my mind. Now, I think as time has gone on, he's shown a more pragmatic side. Um, you know, certainly when they beat Canada in the Nations League, I mean, I think you saw a, a team that was playing on the ground when it, when it was on and, and you know, playing the ball long when, when that situation called or, or that situation was called for. So um, I, I guess I think about it also from the standpoint of, okay, if you fire Greg Berhalter now, I think that does a lot more harm than good. I mean, all of a sudden going into the last window, you know, you, you you're trying to get players used to a, a new coach and a new way of, of, th- of thinking. And I mean, yes, Jesse Ber- or Jesse Marsh is, is available, but, um, you know, he would have to really kind of simplify his approach going into, into this last window. And I don't think that's a, a good, you know, I don't think that's the way to go right now. Um, and I don't think that's what U.S. soccer is going to do. I mean, I think, you know, people like uh, Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride have a ton of faith in Greg Berhalter. And I, I would be shocked if they, they you know, if they made a change at this point, or even after qualifying, if, if they made a change, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, Greg has kind of learned on the job and it makes me think that that, that year that was spent with, with an interim coach and Dave Sarakin, and believe me, I, I think Dave did everything he could given the hand that he was dealt. Um, but I, I do think that was time missed just in terms of having a permanent guy in charge. Um, so I think for now, I, I think he is the guy. 
And I think fans just kind of need to accept that. Um, whether he's the guy for 2026, I mean, that's a conversation that, that's going to have to be had later. Um, I, you know, for the most part, I do like the style that he's implemented. I mean, I, I think he's also benefiting from a, a talented player pool, or at least a, a player pool more talented than I think anything that the U.S. has ever had. Um, where I do think, you know, what I do think is missing is, is a little bit of that experience of knowing what CONCACAF is like and then knowing what World Cups are like. I mean, you know, in terms of the roster that you might put together for a World Cup, and yes, I, I know that there's a lot of work to do. They're not there yet. But a hypothetical roster, um, I think you'd only have like maybe two guys with World Cup experience, and that would be John Brooks and, and DeAndre Yedlin. Um, and even those two might not make it. So um, I think that's there's some experience, there's some know-how that's missing. And granted, Greg Berhalter has been through qualifying as a player, but, you know, especially after the El Salvador game in September, I remember talking to some players and especially the guys in Europe, they were like, wow, we, we never experienced that before. Like El Salvador was coming in high on every single tackle and, and being super physical. And, you know, you can explain to a player what it's like, but until they actually experience it on the field, they're, they're really not going to know. So I think, the U.S. has suffered at times in not having that experience, and that's you, you can see that in the points that they've left on the on the table in certain places, like Jamaica, like Panama. So, getting back to your original question, I think for now, Burhalter has to be the guy, um, and you know we'll see what decisions U.S. Soccer makes going forward, and and we'll see how the team does. I mean, obviously they've got a super challenging window coming up in March. Sure, and are you you know, and on that note. You know, I'm confident that we're going to qualify, Jeff, just because we have to qualify, in my opinion. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But looking at it pragmatically, and your own feeling, you know, again, being close to the, the team, you know, all these years. I mean, what's your feeling? Are you confident that we're going to qualify for the World Cup? Ooh, um, I am. But, you know, I also remember the last cycle. I mean, I guess players and coaches aren't the only people who, whose line of thinking isn't impacted by the previous cycle. Um, you know, I just remember how the U.S. couldn't handle prosperity in that 2018 cycle. You know, they, they'd have great performances at home. They, they couldn't really close the deal on the road. Now, I, I think they've gotten more points, you know, in this cycle on the road. I mean, they had the road win in Honduras. But I mean, it, it seems now like, you know, at the time, everyone thought that was a big deal. But, you know, given the way that Honduras has performed since then, it, it's maybe not, you know, the, the great achievement that, that, you know, everyone thought. Um, but I mean, they're going to have to get some points on the road in this last window. And that, that is super tough. And, you know, because it's, it's Mexico and Costa Rica, two venues where, the, you know, historically the U.S. has not done that well um, and, and has really struggled, quite frankly. Um, Granted, they've gotten some draws in the Azteca, but, you know, they, they might need more than that because Costa Rica has got a really favorable run in. So does Mexico. Um, you know, it, I do think it's going to come down to that game on Orlando against Panama. I mean, I, I think if they get that win and then they manage to, to scrape out a draw in either, you know, the Azteca or, or in San Jose, Costa Rica, I think they make it. But, um, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. And so, I mean, all along I've been worried, especially after that Jamaica game, I was like, man, they, they're going to really regret not getting those two points. And, you know, now here we are and we're in a situation or the U S is in a situation where, um, you know, they've, 
they've they've got it all to play for. I mean, it is in their hands. That's the good news. But they've just got such a a much tougher run in than their you know the other challengers for these spots. That it's 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 going to be really really difficult. I think. But uh, yes, I think you know if I had to pick one or the other, I say they qualify. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. And I was hoping you'd alleviate some of my anxiety today. Uh, I don't know if that comment did, but you know, like you said, Jeff, you know, we're talking about the global game. I mean, teams popping up all over the world with, with new talent, you know, think about like you just said, you know, going into the world cup, if we qualify, we'll have a lot of players that have never competed in a world cup and a coach that's never coached in a world cup. You know, is it, is it naive for us to just think that we're going to be successful with, with that approach? I mean, I think so much depends on the draw. And, and yes, in, in 2014, the U.S. had what I thought was a really brutal draw. And, and they managed to get out of the group. They did really well to, to accomplish that. So I, I just think there, there, are, there are a lot of factors. I, I don't know if it's naive necessarily, um, but it's certainly not a, a foregone conclusion. I mean, you know, a lot of people have, you know, have said or, you know, postulated that, hey, this team is going to be great in 2026. I mean, <laughs> you've got to take advantage of these opportunities now. I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know, that the 2022 edition is this, this tournament where, you know, the U S can just like kind of shrug its shoulders and say, Oh, well, you know, we've got 2026. I mean, make the most of this opportunity now. And um, if everyone is healthy, um, if they're able to, to get into a good run of form, I, I don't see any reason why the U.S. couldn't make it into the knockout stages. But again, I mean, I think the draw will, will loom large and, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. But um, it, it, it could go either way. I mean, there's just so many moving parts to how a team does in the World Cup um, that it, it's just tough to, to say, you know, hey, they're going to make it or, or anything like that. Sure. Absolutely. And for you, let's talk players for a minute. You know, again, you've had the chance to see these guys up front, you know, training the, the day before matches. I mean, for you, who has been our biggest impact impact player during qualifying? I mean, well, I'll pick a an attacking player and I'll pick a, a defensive player in the back. I mean, I think Walker Zimmerman has been amazing in these last, you know, few windows. And uh, and to think that he wasn't called in initially in October. And then, you know, has gone on to play a huge part. I mean, credit to him. I mean, he, he has seized his chance. He, he's been rock solid, um, able to get, you know, contribute on the attacking end as well and set pieces. Um, you know, so I, I've been really impressed with him. Um, if I were to pick an attacking player, I would, I would pick Tim Weah. Um, You know, he's another guy who wasn't necessarily a starter, you know, at the beginning of qualifying, um, and I think he certainly benefited from, from a Gio Reyna being out injured. But I think, you know, the chances that he's gotten and the moments that he's stepped up have been really critical for the U.S. Um, and, I, you know, you think of some of the goals that he scored or contributed to. You know, granted, that counted as an own goal, I think, against Costa Rica at home. But, I mean, that's just a massive goal. I mean, that's, that's everything. You know, th- those two points are, are just so huge right now that, that the U.S. got. Um, you know, as opposed to if they had drawn. So, uh, you know, and then just, you know, obviously the, the cross to, to Pulisic against Mexico, I mean, that opens that game up. So, you know, he, he's a guy that's really kind of come out of nowhere. I, I think another guy is Anthony Robinson. Um, granted, his crossing has been a little hit or miss, 
Um, but he's also popped up for some big goals. I mean, you know, the one, the one against Honduras, I mean, that, that almost completely turned the entire octagonal around for the U.S. I mean, imagine if they walk out of that, that game with, with or that window with two points. I mean, we're having a very different conversation. Um, and then the goal, obviously, he gets against El Salvador is a big one, too. So, um, you know, he's another guy who I think has really established himself in the starting lineup and done well. That's awesome. Yeah. And Christian Pulisic has been taking a lot of what I feel are unnecessary hits during these matches. You know, the other day against Honduras, he literally got hacked one second into the match. You know, do you feel like we we're talking about Walker Zimmerman, you know, has become a beast in the back can kind of be one of our tough guys. I mean, do we have to do more to protect, you know, our influencers like Christian Pulisic? You know, that's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it's, it's just with CONCACAF refereeing, you, you kind of never know what you're going to get. And, it all takes us two yellow cards, you know, anywhere during qualifying to, to get a suspension. Um, you know, I think Weston McKinney, who, you know, let me add, has, has also been very excellent uh, or outstanding in his play when he's been on the field. You know, I have seen him kind of engage in, in some more physical play, to, you know, to try to maybe stick up. But again, it, it's a tough one. I mean, he... He got what I thought was kind of a needless yellow card against Mexico that, that cost him from playing against uh, Jamaica. So um, it, it, it's a tough one. You know, you, you do have to kind of pick your spots. But again, when, when you've got refereeing that's so inconsistent in CONCACAF, I mean, one moment they're letting some really physical play go. And then, you know, there comes a point where they finally start punishing things. And it's I, I think that makes it really difficult for the players. And um, again, it's just a fine line to be walking. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes um, in, in terms of these games and, and, and what ends up happening with Christian Pulisic and the extent to which he's protected. But, I mean, historically, in World Cup qualifying and CONCACAF, he's gotten very little protection from referees. And so I, I think, you know, the U.S. has to approach it that there's going to be more of the same and they're just going to have to be really judicious in terms of, you know, the fouls that uh, that they commit and, and whether that's going to get them in the referee's book. Sure. And and to your point, that's a good point, Jeff, I like, is that, you know, say if we had a different coach other than Greg, say it was a big-time international guy like a Jose or a Pep, you know, do you think they're able to get Christian Pulisic more protection from the referees? Because in my opinion, Jeff, I mean, he's taking so many unnecessary dings and, and they're clipping them all day long. And like you said, the players can only regulate so much on the pitch, right? But, I mean, do you think... And not to not Greg, but is that a part of where we're suffering as a national team by not having, let's just say, a high-profile coach that, that can influence the referees, that can help maybe get our guys a little more protection out there? In my opinion, I don't think that would help. I mean, you know, once, once the whistle blows, I, I think there's really only so much influence that a coach can have in terms of the way that the game is officiated. Um, I mean, we've seen this, you know, Pulisic was getting hacked when Jurgen Klinsmann was the coach. I mean, he was hacked when Bruce Arena was the coach, and now he's getting hacked when Greg Berhalter is the coach. So, you know, if, if Jose Mourinho or Pep Guardiola, you know, somehow, you know, got the job with the U.S., I, I don't really see that changing a whole lot. And, again, it's just, you know, I think there's so much at stake in these games that a lot of times referees don't want to – you know, they, they don't want to just make the, the hard decision to start throwing out yellow cards. Um, so it's, again, I, 
you know, if it wasn't going to happen under Klinsman, I don't see how it would happen under Pep or, or, or Jose. Um, you know, it's again, it's just something that the U.S. is going to have to live with and, uh, you know, just try to rise above and play through. Sure. And in, in regards to Christian Pulisic, you know, you saw him training, you were around the team. A lot of people are really concerned about him. But I, I think, you know, he's a mature kid. He's been over in Europe a long time. I mean, should be should we all be as worried as we are about Christian, or do you think he's going to be all right and he's just going through a rough patch? Well, first off, we don't get to watch training. <laughs> I mean, you know, these days uh, you get to watch the first fifteen minutes. They're warming up. They're they're doing agility drills. You know, just trying to get the body warm. The moment anything that might expose a lineup or tactics, you know, the media is is escorted out of the building. So. Um, you know, that let's just clear that up right there. Um, you know, it's I think people are right to be worried about Christian Pulisic because, you know, yes, you can point to guys like Tyler Adams, who are super important to the team and Weston McKinney, who's super important to the team. But scoring goals, especially as we saw in this last window, is the, still the toughest thing. And Christian Pulisic is the best attacker, most dynamic attacker that the U.S. has. So I think everyone is right to be worried about the kind of form that he's in. Um, you know, he has navigated his way through difficult spells before, you know, I can remember when he first joined Chelsea. I mean, he was under a microscope and, and not getting all that much playing time under Frank Lampard. And then he, eventually he proved himself and, you know, everyone, you know, after a while, everyone was like, okay, he, he is good enough for the premier league. So I think that's one reason to be encouraged, but, you know, again, it's going to have to be a, a wait and see type thing. I mean, we'll see over the next six weeks or so um, just, you know, how much playing time he's able to get under Tuchel. Um, it's a super competitive, very talented Chelsea squad that he's, he's trying to break into. So um, and, and they're playing for big trophies. I mean, obviously, you know, the Premier League seems to be done and dusted, but, um, you know, there's other things that they're competing for. So, uh, you know, yes, be worried. Um, but it, it's certainly not completely doom and gloom. You know, I think, again, Pulisic is, is capable of, of working his way through this. And certainly everyone associated with the U.S. team is hoping that he does. Sure. And, and you know, a new challenge for our coach, Coach Ez, is having all so many of these guys in Europe at high profile clubs. And like you said, competing for, for trophies and playing a lot of games and obviously training at a high level every day. Is that, I mean, have you heard from whether it's Ernie or Brian McBride or Greg? I mean, this is, this is sort of a new challenge for Greg as far as, you know, Juventus, Chelsea. I mean, some big-time clubs. I mean, how are they addressing that? I mean, when these guys come in a lot of times now, I mean, they are tired. You know, they're coming off a string of, of world-class games, say three games in nine days. I mean, have there been any adjustments? Like you mentioned, Greg doesn't like to travel, but are you seeing any other adjustments in there that are maybe, you know, we're just dealing with kind of a different level of a player now, aren't we? Yeah, but Burhalter is a huge believer in sports science and analytics. I mean, he's looking at their workloads, um, and I think that has certainly influenced his decision making at times in terms of, you know, when to when to have a guy start a game on the bench. You know, when to you know say, hey, this guy needs some rest. And, you know, maybe easing him into the you know to training a little bit more than he might otherwise. So. Um, I think that's something that Berhalter, you know, is very much aware of in, in terms of his approach to things. Um, you know, it's, there are a lot of games, but I, I think for, for Greg Berhalter, he wants these guys playing. I mean, that's, that's better than the alternative. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly something that uh, the U.S. staff is is keeping an eye on and uh, and making sure that, that that these guys don't get pushed too too hard and, and and too far when they come to into the U.S. camp. Sure, and and you know, with everybody healthy, obviously the number nine position, you know, our striker position, Jeff has been up for a lot of debate lately. I mean, with everybody healthy, who who is your starting number nine up top for our team? Ooh, um. I mean, health is one thing, form is another. Um, and I think that's why Ricardo Pepe is getting all kinds of opportunities right now. Um, I mean, Josh Sargent, he, he had so many chances and, you know, he, he just couldn't find the net. And, you know, granted, he got a couple goals for Norwich uh, recently. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think it's also like how, you know, what kind of profile really fits Berhalter's system. And, you know, personally, I just think in terms of the roster, he needs to have a guy who, who, who's a little bit more of a physical presence, can, can score an ugly goal, who can just, you know, bull his way through things. And so I think of a guy like Daryl DK or Jordan Peefock, you know, players like that um, at least need to be in the squad. But Berhalter seems to prize mobility and the you know pressing ability more than he does you know physical strength in the box um i think right now pepe gives you the best combination of that i mean i noticed against canada the moment he came into the game the canadian center backs are being challenged in a way that they hadn't been challenged all game um by jossie's artists and so uh you know for that reason i i think if i had to pick a guy right now it would still be pepe um now, if PFOC continues to score goals in, in Switzerland, you know, I think you know, Berhalter is going to have to take another look at it. We'll see the extent to which, you know, Sargent, you know, finds his game. Um, it's still a wide open competition. Um, I, I just think it's a situation right now where Pepe has his nose in front, but that could easily change. Um, you know, and we'll see, you know, how much, how many more minutes Zardes gets. Um, you know, I, I think he benefits from understanding Berhalter's system. Um, you know, is he a guy for the World Cup? I've got to believe that that some other players will 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 be more effective in, in that particular tournament. Um, but we'll again, we'll see. I mean, it, you know, health and form are going to you know dictate a lot of it. And but again, I think Pepe. You just hope that he absorbs a lot by being in the Bundesliga. It, it sharpens up his game in a way that might not otherwise have happened. Um, and he is getting on the field. I mean, I think that was the biggest concern. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, how things progress for Augsburg. But, um, you know, I think he's the guy at the moment. Sure. And what about, you know, during the match, of course, and, and you know, again, the U.S. Uh, U.S. fans, Jeff, seem to be in two camps. Greg, they love Greg or they want him out. You know, taking pictures during the match with fans – had to bring that up. I mean, what's your perspective on that? Is that something our, our national team coach should be doing during the match? Maybe I'm old school, but I didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And that is something that could easily have been done after the match. Um, and I mean, imagine the hue and cry if, if, if a manager on the other side, you know, of, of the, or, you know, the, 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 the the opponent's manager had done that in the middle of a game um, fans would be up on arms. And so um, I know there's some people that love it, but, but me personally, I didn't like it. And I, I don't think you're going to be see Greg Berhalter doing that again. 
Yeah, I agree. And I didn't like it either. And like you said, Jeff, you know, we've never had a coach do it before. We'll never have a coach do it again. I've never seen it. I've never seen a, a manager in any level uh, do it. And, and, you know, that I think for, for some of us that aren't totally sold on Greg, that speaks to a little bit of, of, I don't know if it's his concentration or his focus, or, you know, he likes the behind the back passes. He likes the sneakers or taking, I mean, that's, that's a concern for everybody. Not everybody, a lot of people going into the world cup with an inexperienced coach. Um, is that part of him? I mean, I guess you're, you know, again, you're on the inside. You've talked to a lot of these guys. Is that, are we just misreading these, this guy? Is he still very focused, but just likes to have fun with the fans or is there just something lacking there that we should be really concerned about? I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with having fun on the sidelines. I mean, think of uh, Miguel Herrera. I mean, I mean, that guy was super boisterous, you know, still is, um, you know, a lot of emotion. Um, you know, I, I think this was a lapse. I mean, I don't, I don't mind the shoes. I don't mind the behind the back pass. I mean, that's just kind of something that happens in the moment. Um, but, you know, I, I really do think this was a one-off in terms of, of taking pictures with fans. I mean, you know, let's face it, the team has been under a lot of pressure. And, you know, Burhalter, you know, trotted out the old, well, you know, the, the, the external pressure is, is not nothing close to the internal pressure that everyone puts on themselves and is feeling. And so, you know, I think that was a little bit, I think he was blowing off a little bit of steam there, you know, at the end of a window. But again, I go back to time and place and, you know, there, there was a time that he, that he could have done that a time where he could have celebrated and um, that wasn't it. I hear you. And, and, you know, kind of wrap things up, Jeff, you know, you've been in soccer media a long time. The other day we had, you know, even uh, Steven Smith going off on Greg, the PTI guys <laughs> dipping in. I mean, for you, what, what have you seen? What has been, been the biggest evolution in American soccer media? Let's just say over the last 15 years. I mean, Social media, I think, has, has changed a lot about the way fans consume the game. I mean, uh, and I think it it allows kind of an immediacy that wasn't there before so that guys like the PTI guys, you know, like Stephen A. Smith can can chime in, you know, when, when they're seeing this, this kind of thing appear on their timeline. And so... You know, that, that it just raises the awareness, I think, uh, of the game. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the World Cup every four years, I mean, always gave the game a massive boost. Um, and it, it got more eyeballs in the game. Uh, you know, that to me, that was like the biggest blow, I think, about 2018 when the men didn't qualify. I mean, that, you know, it just it kind of robbed the sport in the United States of that that momentum boost i mean that that jolt of, of uh, adrenaline and so um yeah so i mean i think but i again the immediacy of everything i mean everyone's got their hot takes everyone's you know and people are, are looking in on the press conferences i mean people have commented on the way that i responded to a question and they're like wow i mean that's you know i mean zoom zoom calls are kind of their own different animal i mean i don't know if that's necessarily a positive development but again i mean everything is so immediate everything is faster and i think social media has had a lot to do with that and so uh to me that that's been the biggest change sure and and to wrap things up today jeff you know you've covered mls for a really long time you know the league has always been a little apprehensive at least in my experience about like calling itself a selling league 
but you know, it's, it's obviously becoming that. I mean, what, what's your take on all these sales? I mean, FC Dallas, for example, I was just reading this morning. I mean, becoming the Kings of selling. Um, do you like it? You know, where do you think this is headed? And, and it, it is, it a, is it a positive for MLS to be selling this many good players? I mean, I think for MLS, it's a balancing act. Um, but I think it is a positive development to be, uh, you know, transferring players overseas. Um, it speaks to the way that they're developing players um, that, you know, clubs like FC Dallas, um, like Philadelphia, uh, like, you know, uh, I mean, the, the list goes on New York Red Bulls. I mean, some of the, some of the guys that they've transferred um, they're doing something right. And, you know, I think for the longest time uh, there, there were some doubts about that. And it, it but I think an, another important change that has taken place is I think the pathway for an 18 to 21 year old is a lot clearer than it was before because you know the U.S. never seemed to have a hard time doing well and qualifying for U17 World Cups but you know it, it just seemed like you know in that particular 18 to 21 age bracket guys would just fall off the radar they, they just they, they would get stuck and so I think that the benefit now is that, you know, with these guys going overseas, there's just a lot more avenues to success. You know, it's not like MLS or bust or, you know, you're going over to a European team that's struggling against relegation. And, you know, there's the difficulty that's always accompanied with that, you know? So I think again, that, that the pathways are a lot clearer, they're more varied. And um, again, I, I, so I think this is kind of a, uh, about again a balancing act that MLS has to has to to walk. I mean, they don't want to sell everyone. I mean, they they do want to promote their American players, their their academy success stories. But um, you know, I think at the same time, you know, if they're just going to hold players hostage, then players are going to figure it out. I mean, you're seeing USL guys go overseas now. And, you know, who don't want to sign those four year contracts with MLS and, and then be kind of stuck in a situation that they don't want. So, um, again, I, I think it's I think MLS overall has done a good job of navigating, you know, that that bot, you know, that hold or, or sell type of a decision. But again, at the same time, you're seeing a lot of South American players, young South American players coming to MLS as well. And they're confident that they're you know, they can use that as a stepping stone to bigger things. So. Um, again, it's not one or the other. It's, it's somewhere in the middle, but I think, you know, that's what MLS is trying to navigate at the moment. Cool. Well, well, I appreciate your time today, Jeff. And, and if you don't mind, maybe we'll have you uh, back again after the next window. If you don't, uh, if you're not too cold after that, but uh, are you, are you traveling to the matches in the, during the next window? Yeah, it should be, um, you know, definitely for Mexico and for, uh, and for Panama. Uh, we'll see about Costa Rica. We'll see if that game actually means anything, but, uh, I know for U.S. fans, they're hoping it doesn't, <laughs> so, they can, so their blood pressure will go down and you know, they can celebrate qualification. Absolutely. Well, I feel like you've calmed me down a little bit today, Jeff. I hope that you've calmed down my listeners. I know there's a lot of anxiety out there. Like I said, I'm confident we're going to qualify because there is no other choice, even though I know there is. But thank you for joining me today. You know, let's have you back on in a few weeks after the next window. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll look forward to uh, Cutter in, in November. Anytime, Mark. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff.